Well, hello, gentle listener. Welcome to a very special Pokemon rollout in a time that may not be. We shall see. It is a dark night, calm and cold, on the vicinity of Landsmeet, while our three trainers wait around a fire before a door, waiting for guests to arrive. And here is a group now. A group of four coming down the road. Their names are David Harshman, Casey DeFridis, Peter Stadmuller, and Matt Carlton, though of course our trainers wouldn't know that. <laughs> they all have different costumes and styles, but... Matt Carlton's shows up the most, dressed as an archaeologist, looking like he's fresh from the Illumine Oasis. Though, of course, he's only playing pretend for the night. These four are coming out to trick or treat, though I'm afraid only trick is on their minds. So, let us see what our trainers will do in this night of tricks, treats, and tales. <laughs> I, I baked up a special batch of uh, uh, sweet confections for for the trick or treaters. Do you think you think we can give some of those to them? Uh, no, because then there will be uh, less for us. I know they're they're really good. Yeah. Uh, I like them, and, like, you know that... Yeah, they're so good, and you know that Giggles likes them, too, and Charlie takes one and tosses one to Giggles while he's munching on, like, three oh, of them I... himself. Yeah. And <laughs> save some for, for us. Oh. We're not home! <laughs> Liliana turns off the lights. <laughs> Wait, should we... I don't know. Is this, is this part of the... I don't, I don't know what the... the... Chan traditions are for this holiday. Is this something that we do? We pretend we're not home. Is that? Uh, no, not usually. I mean, usually we like give out candy and stuff, but like that's kind of boring. Well, um, I mean, I've done it in, in the past, but I don't know. Do, do we have something more fun to do? They're knocking. Should we? Get, should I, I'll go give them some confections, right? Yeah. <laughs> here, let, let let me let me handle this one. Let me let me see what we can do here. So. Um, alright, uh, Charlie comes to the door, opens up, and says, Oh, hello, uh, 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 friendly friends here. Um, trick or treat? A uh, chorus of voices respond, Trick! Uh, so Charlie, uh, uh kind of, like, uh, looks behind him and, uh, uh, kind of, like, hams up, like, Okay, alright. Have you guys heard about the, uh, the Trevenant that lives in, that lives in the woods? The evil Trevenant who hates humans and Don't attacks. all Trevenant live in the woods? But this is an evil one. And uh, she... Uh, any human that she sees, any person, any trainer, she strikes down. 
uh, with her uh, with her uh, massive vines and uh, pulls them down into her trunks until she makes uh, uh, the people become phantoms themselves. Oh yeah, you released her in town a few weeks ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you remember, do you? Well, then you might want to take a look behind you then. And uh, behind them is a Trevenant, uh, 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 stealthily, like uh, with its uh, spidery legs, walking toward them from uh, from uh, the field uh, uh, over to the left. Uh, uh, comes a stomping uh, down and running after them, uh, hopefully causing terror. We'll see. Do we have to roll for terror? What's uh, uh, what kind of terror roll should we roll for? I don't know if we need to worry about rolling for terror. <laughs> roll a d20. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> roll for terror. Yeah, I, I would say they, they, they're enough in the game that they will scream and run, even if they aren't necessarily terrified, but they will respond in that way for the fun of it. Alright. And of course this was a, this was a hollow uh, coming and mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> getting in on the gag uh, on the gag there. Uh, the, the matriarch is uh, is safely secured away I hope. Uh, has anyone seen what? my Morgrim by the way? <laughs> oh, that might that might be telling. One, oh. one branch reach it, reaches in through the window and snags one of the confections. Yeah, sure you can have one. <laughs> uh uh, so yeah, Charlie goes back and uh, laughs like, <laughs> uh, that was good, uh, and like kind of uh, gives Hollow a high five and, and returns. Uh, well, Hollow, you go go hang out. You can be ready for another group. We'll we'll, we'll see if we, we need you again. So, um, yeah. So the point of the night is to horrify old people and children alike. Yeah, or like have fun, make jokes, give them food. I don't know. It's, it's whatever you want to make of it. Hmm. Interesting. As the night continues onwards and they wait for other guests to arrive, the delay grows longer and longer. Finally, with the idea of horror terrifying those around you, whatever it can, one speaks up with a tale to tell. The tale I have to share with you is called Pokegeist. Tap, 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 tap. She warned me. After defeating her in battle, I told Fantina how much I had admired her ghost Pokemon. She told me about the place where she had caught the ghastly that would become her Gengar, in an old, run-down manor outside of Eterna City. I hadn't caught a ghastly yet. When I had passed through Eterna Forest before, I was in a rush to get to the city as my Pokemon were near fainting. I went back right away. We battled just after noon, and she said the manor was just to the west of town. I would be there in no time. I stopped at the Pokemart to pick up some Pokeballs and Super Potions, and then went back to the Pokemon Center to refresh my Pokemon. I wanted to be prepared for this trip. The manor's presence was felt almost immediately as I entered the forest. Despite this, you could almost miss it with a dense layer of flora obscuring the view. I had to sneak past a few overgrown, unkempt bushes and wade through some tall grass, past some wormple and cricketot in order to make it to the entrance. The door was weathered and worn. The ornate handles that were once shimmering gold have since turned to a tarnished brown. 
I reach for the door, anticipating to pull the handle and feel some resistance. But to my surprise, it opened with ease. Almost as if someone had opened it on the other side. I went in, the late afternoon sun glistening through the plant life, covering the windows shining on an impressive statue of a very stately man in the center of the foyer. He must have been the master of the manor. There were stairs on either side leading to the second floor with several rooms, as well as a door leading directly to the dining room and kitchen on the first floor. I explored every inch of the house, thinking about all of the abandoned things that might be waiting to be picked up. I found some really useful items in the various rooms. A rare candy, the TM for substitute. The best item I found was a large pearl in the room with the rundown old TV with knobs and wood paneling. The pearl would sell for a big price at the Pokemart. Tap, 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 tap. She warned me. As the light dimmed around me, ghastly became more plentiful. I caught a few so I could hopefully find one that was useful for battling. It was hard to make out anything in the room I was in on the second floor. Deep in a corner, I saw something shimmer, slightly. As I approached, the atmosphere seemed to grow denser. I could hardly see what I was looking for, but it was undeniably there. I carefully, slowly reached out to touch the dark, flat object. There was a noise like a clank or a crash downstairs. I grabbed the plate and made my way downstairs to leave. I suddenly felt as if I had overstayed my welcome. As I re-entered the foyer, I heard the noise again in the dining room on the main floor. As I walked into the foyer, I couldn't help but feel like I was being watched. I paused and looked at the statue of the master, his eyes seeming to be angrily focused on me. I went into the dining room. Hardly anything was visible except for a piece of cake sitting on the large dining room table. I stared at it, wondering where it came from. It wasn't there before, and no one has been here for years. I looked at it intently until I saw something out of the corner of my left eye. By the time I looked up, it was gone, but I swore I saw an elderly butler walk into the kitchen next door. I was about to follow him until I heard tap, 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 tap. She warned me. The sun had set long ago, and the only light was from the moon ever so slightly through the windows. Somewhere upstairs, I heard something else. I left the kitchen in a hurry to leave, the statue still staring daggers at me now, seeming to tower several feet over me. I had almost reached the door when I heard the last thing I would expect to hear. Laughter. Not menacing mean laughter, but that of a little girl playing a game. The door was right there. But if she had wandered in here, I, I couldn't let her stay alone. I ran up the stairs. The laughter become, became louder and clearer as I ascended. It continued to swell as I moved from room to room, searching for this poor, lost little girl. It seemed as if I had checked every single room until I made it back to the room with that old TV in it. I could hear her just on the other side of the door. I opened it. I was almost blinded by what I saw. The TV was on, emitting a bright glow. The brightest light I'd seen since this afternoon. I had to get to this girl and get out. 
I searched the room, looking under every nook and cranny until I heard the laughter near the door. For just a moment, I saw a girl in a red dress glide across the floor, exiting the open door and slamming it shut behind her. I ran to the door to get her, but it was shut. I pulled, but the doorknob didn't even turn. Tap, 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 tap. The tapping was coming from the TV, still glowing in a bright white light as if something was inside the glass. I looked intently at the static, seeing my own reflection until suddenly, my reflection smiled mischievously turned into a glowing orange figure floating around the screen. It seemed to be a fun and almost charming little specter. It danced around the screen for I don't even know how long I was caught in a trance. Then it stopped and glared back at me, staring intently at me as I was at it, and then something I can't quite explain happened. I remember looking at the ghostly figure, and then everything turned into a staticky haze. And then I was looking back at my reflection as a light started to stream into the windows. I looked at myself carefully when it dawned on me. I wasn't in the room anymore. Well, well I was, but I was inside the TV. The specter, now possessing my body, flashed that same mischievous smile at me, adjusted my cap, and walked into the daylight. She warned me. Fantina warned me not to stay in the mansion in the night. Tap, 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 tap. The tale has quietly come to its close, and there is another group. Only a pear come down the road this time. A fruit? <laughs> One is known simply as Froxus. The other, Micah Greenspoon, is somewhat new, but is still a good guest. Micah has put some idea into his costume. In fact, he has no costume for himself. As a dentist, he feels himself above such trivial matters, but... His trapinch has decided to dress as what he sees every day. A set of teeth. Rather disturbingly lifelike, if I must say. But soon enough, they are at the door. Who who wants to get this one? Okay, I, uh, I think uh, I got this. I'll I'll do this one, okay? I got this one. Uh, Alright. Uh, Liliana opens the door. Trick or treat. Treat! She slams the door shut. <laughs> Guys, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> Wait, do they want some cookies? I've got I've got some, some very sweet confections. Here, open the door again, Liliana. You open the door if you're just gonna waste food. No, wait, it's not it's the it's the uh, okay. Here's your treat. We brought some for some very sweet confections for you. Thank you for coming. Shouldn't it be wrapped? What if he poisoned it? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) That entire thing is traced back to one event. But But, uh, yeah, it gets looked over. Uh, Micah, the dentist, looks over his entire thing and uh, uh, decides. Loaded with sugar. (laughs) It'll give you cavities. It's, it's, it's okay for now. The trap inch has has pretty strong teeth, so it'll be able to survive this. You don't want too much enamel. 
There's just like other candy already stuck in the fake teeth too. <laughs> so they travel on their way, a quieter group, this one. Again, the night settles into quiet and stretches until finally another speaks up. Well, there's one legend I know, something my mother told my brothers and sisters and me when we were younger, probably just to keep us from wandering away too far into the woods, but it definitely scared the pants off of all of us. Of course, it's not true. Uh, Anyway, the legend says that deep in the Trilathon Sanctuary, in the wildest areas long forgotten by mankind, there's a castle. Because of the overgrowth in the hundreds of years since it's been abandoned, you wouldn't recognize it as a castle right away. It looks like a large hill or a small mountain or cliff. But it's cursed and it's haunted. The story goes that hundreds of years ago, there was a powerful king who ruled this region. He came in conquest, scorching the landscape in unquenchable fire against those who wouldn't kneel to him. To solidify his control, he selected a sacred place at the heart of the land to build his stronghold. It was populated by huge, ancient trees and protected by a grove of nuzleaf. Although the people warned him not to, the king laughed at them and destroyed the grove. The nuzleaf put up a fight, especially protecting one large and bright tree in the center. A ring of large stones stood around that tree as further protection, or or perhaps as, as a shrine to the tree. But, but the king took those stones as foundation for his new castle, and using one of his signature Pokemon, the legends are different, some say a Charizard, some a mega evolution of a Charizard, and others say a Steelix or a Noivern, he tore the ancient tree out by its roots. A sinkhole opened underneath the tree, and rubble spilled in deeper than anyone could see. And among the rubble, large stones, something was hidden. Something only the guardians of the forest knew about. It fell into the deep, and the stones were laid over it, entombing the place forever. And enslaving Pokemon and humans alike, the king built his castle that very spot. When his rule was absolute and uncontested, his enforcers would bring in exorbitant taxes from the people, taking their food for his own table, their Pokemon and children for his own armies. He was not a trusting man. He had poniard guards posted outside his bedroom, and Gligar outside the window, and a Heliolisk sleeping at the foot of his bed. But in the darkness, the first night after his castle was complete, he woke in a cold sweat. He felt as though he'd had a nightmare, but couldn't remember. And his skin was tingly and wet. None of his guards showed any signs of disturbance, except the Heliolisk who looked at the king when he cried out. But he steeled himself and went back to sleep. But each night, for the next several weeks, these events recurred. In the middle of the night, the king would wake in terror with no memory of his nightmare, and his skin tingly and wet. He'd not wanted to tell anyone, because he wanted to maintain the reputation of a fearsome warrior king. But finally, a servant noticed the change in the king, how tired and afraid he appeared. 
This servant had a woobat that used to help her clean the chimneys. She told it to hide in the chimney in the king's chambers and to watch during the night to see what happened. And this was the thirteenth night in the completed castle. And that night, the king dreamed. In his dream, he walked down the staircase into the dungeon of the castle, and there was a hidden door in the floor. He opened it and looked down into the gaping hole that had opened underneath the massive tree. Deep within the darkness, he saw a shimmering pinprick of light. As he looked, the light grew bigger. It came closer and closer until he saw a shape within it. An oval of light contained the curled-up figure of a soft pink Pokemon with long ears. It seemed to be sleeping, but as he looked, he saw that the shape was not solid. The Pokemon was faded and translucent. While he watched, it turned towards him, its eyes opened, and a wide grin split on its face as its skin darkened into a deep purple. The eyes turned red. Now it was very close to the king's face while he stood rooted to the spot in terror. The mouth of the Pokemon opened wide and its tongue lolled out and licked the king's face, paralyzing him further. The Pokemon then spoke. For your sacrilege and for your cruelty, you are doomed to eternal Now, in the waking world, the Woobat watched a deep, dark shadow silently envelop the king's bed, and it heard the same voice the king heard in his dream. After it spoke, deep red eyes turned from the shadow to stare at the Woobat, and the voice said, You, child, shall bear witness. The punishment is complete. The mouth opened wide and bit down on the king's head. The king screamed and screamed and screamed. The guards rushed in. The woobat fled back to the servant. An alarm was raised. The king only continued screaming. He was asleep, but screaming. For an entire day, doctors could find no way to wake the king or silence his screams. When no one could decide what to do, the servant and her woobat came forward with an idea, although they couldn't say how they had come by it. They took the king to the dungeon, dug a hole in the foundation, and lowered him on a bed with a pulley and ropes deep into the cavern below. His screams faded down with him, and they closed the floor again. The land returned to its natural state, and the castle was abandoned. But they say that if you're walking through the sanctuary at night, if the air is still, you can still hear him screaming. But you must not cover your ears. His screams must serve to warn you, or his punishment may also become yours. The story ends, and another group comes down the road. A group of four once again. Alchemage, Kyle Albert, Julia Egan, and Andrew Weil, here for their 
treat, or in their case, their trick. Kyle Albert is actually well known to these trainers, though they'd know him, not know his name and know him by a different face. He is coming along with his Heracross. Not bringing along his shop, in this case, and no noodles for the <laughs> trainers, but they are dressed as one another. <laughs> Soon enough, they reach the door. Okay, okay. You got this? I believe in you. I you can do it. Okay, alright. Oh, gosh, I hate I hate dealing with people. Liliana opens the door. Trick or treat? Trick! Trick? Okay. She slams the door shut again. Uh, and she just, like, turns back to Professor Sneeve and Char- Charlie, looking, like, really, really nervous and just kind of, like, patting her pockets like, uh, Eventually, her hand, like, lands on a Pokeball and she just throws it out the window. And you hear this little... Uh, okay. I think I got this. And Liliana opens the door again and says, okay, you want a trick, right? This, this, someone this. had had their, their hand open to knock on the door again. They're like, oh, okay, that wasn't, a, I was about to say that wasn't a very good trick. But. Well, I, I tricked you into believing that you needed to knock again. Your Halloween is completed. You are welcome. What more do you want? What what else do you do here, children? They're giving you Maybe very, children? very flat stairs. <laughs> wow, you guys are a really helpful group. Thanks a lot. Um, okay, trick. Your trick is that there's now five of you here? Did someone else show up? Do you know this person? And at the back of the group is a familiar little girl um, who... <laughs> Possibly was from the forest at one point as well, too. Um, And as the children turn around, this little girl slowly is getting taller and her fingers are becoming sharper and longer, her mouth getting wider. And uh, yeah, it's all of a sudden a Zoroark standing behind them, looming up in the darkness. You got the good screams and them running away, definitely, for that. Pretty soon afterwards. Uh, and you see... Did I win? You see Ruse <laughs> chase after them, cloaked in the familiar uh, dark power of pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> so someone's having a day, but... <laughs> I think I get this. I think I get this. It makes sense. Soon enough, things quiet down once more, and the silence stretches. Until the last of our trainers tells our second to last story. When I was a kid, I used to walk alone at night. I knew that was the worst time to take a stroll, but I didn't really care. I couldn't sleep a lot, and wearing down my legs and arms helped tire me out. Plus, having some time to myself once I started my gang was rare. Nighttime, when everyone else was asleep, was my time to escape their whining. Most of the time, I kept to the alleys I knew. Sometimes I ventured out to scout other territories or see what shops didn't keep their doors locked tight enough. On one of the nights that I was feeling more adventurous... 
I found an alley I never had seen before. I don't really know how to describe it, but the alley just felt kind of weird. There was this ringing in my ears that got worse when I walked closer. I figured that was probably some sort of security alarm a psychic types trainer put up to keep ratatas like me out. So naturally, I had to suck it up and find out what was down there. The alley just kept stretching on and on and on, and the ringing in my ears got worse. I had to bite down on my tongue to keep from screaming, and I was in too deep to turn back. I never knew how black the night could get until I made my way down the stairs that I tripped on. I could feel my eyes getting bigger to try to take in any streetlights from behind me. My legs started to cramp from the cold and this weird pressure that was building at my feet, pulling them closer to... something. Whatever was down there knew I was coming. Maybe I should have turned around, but the stubborn part of me wanted to face it so I could give it a piece of my aching mind. I stumbled again once I found the end of the stairs, and the moment my foot touched the bottom of whatever hole I was in... The ringing stopped. My legs didn't hurt. My eyes started to adjust to just a few slivers of moonbeams somehow filtering through these huge piles of trash. I took a deep breath and instantly regretted it. The smell was unbearable down there, like something had curled up and died. A lot of somethings. I felt woozy and started to turn around when I heard a click and saw murky yellow light blink a figure into view. The thing kind of looked like a rag doll, with three spikes on its head, a tail shaped like a mace, and what I think were arms gently waving in a breeze that I couldn't feel. The glint of a gold, smiling zipper slowly came undone. A hissing, whispering voice echoed around me. You're not what I was waiting for, it said. You're different from the rich, spoiled brat. Much different, yes, much different. You're filthy, thrown out, not loved by the ones who are supposed to love you. Aren't you lonely? Don't be lonely. I'm lonely, so I know how alone you are. But you aren't lonely now. You have me here. We can be lonely, but not lonely together. We can make them regret calling us junk, useless, ugly. Yes, we can. You and I, I know who you are. You're just like me. Magenta eyes flashed and I woke up at my hideout. My skin felt like millions of needles were pricking it, making me shake and gasp for air. I don't know if I actually left my hideout or not. But I do know one thing. When I'm lonely at night, I swear I can feel that thing behind me. Soon enough, as the story comes to a close, the Zoroark returns, stating, without speaking, of course, that she gained nothing from her pursuit, though her smile may say otherwise. <laughs> and soon enough, five. the last group comes down the road. 
Ben Ahrens, Lauren Polson, and Jeffrey Schell. Coming down the road. None of them have a specifically eye-catching costume, except walking by Jeffrey Schell's size is either a large mudkip wearing a swampert costume, or a small swampert wearing a mudkip costume. It is actually <laughs> impressively difficult to figure out. No megastone in sight for this one. At least. <laughs> and then I'm just tall for my age. To the bar. <laughs> I, I, I got this one. I, I, I think I, I think I understand how this works. I'm carrying my my tray of sweet confections, and they are all cookies in the shapes of various Pokemon. Um, I open the door and I say, oh, "Hello, uh, uh, trick or or treat." Trick! They all call out. The uh, Mudkip Swampert has a hand up and it gets kind of slapped down by the person next to him. But they all say trick. Uh, all right then. And I move the tray of cookies back and I, I take a I fumble for a po- Pokeball at my waist and I pull it out and I say, All right, here's your trick. And I throw the Pokeball out totally unceremoniously and I say, Shmoopy, use Rain Dance! <laughs> <laughs> Roughly a minute later, Professor Sneeze gets up off the floor, uh, having lost all of his sweet confections. Oh no! <laughs> I hope they like him. Still raining in the front, and Schmoopy is just kind of sitting in it. But they didn't have the best of responses to your trick, I'm afraid. Well, maybe I'm not understanding how this works. No, you guys did all right. This is this is about how it usually goes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I already won, right. so it's okay. Was it a comp? Okay, I didn't know it was a competition. Well, it's. It was just for fun. It it's not, but you guys did great. Good job. Thank you. So like the, the like this is it guys like what what are we still doing here what's what are we what's happening On this night of all nights in this not quite a place is the time for a tale that may make some hearts race We've heard a few stories, some false and some true. Listen now to a tale only I can tell you. In a land split in two in a time long ago, near a village that focused on making things grow, came the Metagross factory, gleaming and cold. Settled into the earth, metal spreading like mold. One great eye on the village, second eye on the fields, with its mouth gaping open to disgorge its yields. So the Metagross factory started its work, and from its dark duties it never would shirk. For this village the factory came as a shock, a gleaming of steel amidst earth, tree, and rock. Were they curious? Furious! Better conveys how they felt towards the factory and its strange ways. 
It polluted their river, it blackened their skies, and always it watched with its bright, baleful eyes. Before it could ruin all under their sun, the village agreed something must now be done. In this time, you see travel was risky and rare. Where you found yourself born, well, you mostly stayed there. Only messengers, minstrels, adventurers went where their feet pulled them on or else where they were sent. So it was that six months after that nameless town had decided the factory must be brought down, that a wandering minstrel, beat bloody and lame, staggered into a larger town, one with a name. That her tale was remarkable, all could agree, of people that looked just like you, or like me, in a land of bare stone under black and gray air. These people, not people, drove her far from there. But no one believed her, the tale was too tall, and the Metagross factory least likely of all. Nothing grew so enormous, nothing blackened the sky. While this minstrel was harmless, no one believed her lie. Until, out of the mountain a stranger appears, the sable-eyed keeper, hermit of many years. On his back was a bag full of gems polished smooth, and within each dark gem was a glimpse of the truth. When he heard this strange story, he reached into his pack and produced a red gemstone just beginning to crack. Flickering in the heart of this jewel, one could see blackened skies and the Metagross factory. This is truth, said the Keeper, and must come to an end, or the Metagross factory will break and will bend and will twist all nearby to its own dark design, cold and gleaming and dead, polished to a bright shine. The great leader of town knew the keeper quite well. She believed the strange story that the minstrel did tell. She assembled a group of strong trainers and wise to go into this village and see with their eyes, and to stop the dark factory once they arrive, though she hoped that the price would not be all their lives. So the trainers set forth, led by the minstrel's song. It did not take them long to find things had gone wrong. They discovered a land frozen in gleaming chrome, from the trees to the Pokemon to every home of that poor nameless village. The people were made into gleaming steel parodies, nothing remained. Soon they found a new horror. Once within its steel wrap, they discovered the whole of the land was a trap. All the steel, all the metal, filled with rage and with will, and fell upon the trainers with a mad urge to kill. In the end, only some of the trainers returned to that much larger city, the land they had burned. They had smashed all the iron, they had crushed all the steel, even after they hardly believed it was real. There was one bit of worry, one note of cold dread, adding fear to the song of their grief and their dead. It had all been for nothing, all the fire in the air for the Metagross factory hadn't been there. No names are in this story, none that I can tell you. If there were, it would tip from fiction into true. I'm a servant of fiction, I cannot deal with fact. Save for when terror touches it, then I can act. What's the meaning here? Why did I tell this to you? Archetypes are not heroes. We have duties to do. So the Metagross Factory followed its course. 
and it could not be swayed from it by word or force. Now, this factory sleeps in our world at this time. It's not part of this story except this little rhyme. But, other archetypes lurk, both the known and unknown. And not all are as friendly as those we have shown. Good night. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.